Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of The Influence Continuum, and I'm delighted to have a fellow therapist with me, Esther Friedman, on the show with me. Uh, Esther has a book. We can see it for those of you who are looking at the video. Uh, It's called The Gentle Soul's Revolution, and the subtitle is A Secret Cult, An Open Rebellion, and Lessons in Protecting and honoring your gentle soul. I love that. You're cool. Thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate that. So I'm going to just read a little more of your bio. Esther is a licensed mental health counselor, expressive art therapist, songwriter, author, and former cult member. In 2006, a new friend, in air quotes, introduced her to a, quote, esoteric school, unquote, and... Fifteen years later, she left the secret cult. She didn't recognize the, quote, school, unquote, as a cult until she started researching cults obsessively. Then she posted a blog called Cult Confessions, soon a CD of 10 original songs, also called Cult Confessions, followed. And you're an artist, so of course you're going to be wanting to use your soul and your creative talents to help yourself heal and help others. So I'm just going to read a few more things. You know, every time you refuse to keep the cult secret, you felt better. So that was self-reinforcing. This is a, uh, and I feel the same, felt the same way and feel the same way. So she started what she called an edutainment campaign, which I love. And I got out.org. I will mention as well that I'm a collaborating co-founder of, presenting her misadventure to private audiences, and she realized that releasing secrets freed her voice and her mind. So I'm going to stop there, but just say you have quite an interesting story. You were not recruited at 19. You were a little bit older. And I just want to say the Gurdjieff you know, inspired cult that you got sucked into. I was actually kind of recruited into that by my next door neighbor as a child. Uh, And I read In Search of the Miraculous and all of Mm -hmm. the Gurdjieff books before I met the Moonies. And so uh, it was actually Ospensky's book that I looked at that I misinterpreted as a spiritual revelation that I should follow the Moonies because Gurdjieff was already dead. Um, That's a little bit of my story. But over the decades, I've met many people in Gurdjieff-related cult groups and done deep dives just to unpack my own belief system. But I'm very interested in hearing your story and what you would like to share, and especially what you've learned about helping people heal. So with that, Esther Friedman, thank you for being on the Influence Continuum podcast. Um, I'm so fascinated that the Gurdjieff stuff primed you for the Moonies. Wow. Um, I had never heard of Gurdjieff. Um, And you're right, my story is unusual in that I was 41 when I stumbled into this, um, or was, I should say, groomed into it, baited into it. Um, um, 
yeah, I'm, you know, I think, I think I'm a little stunned that you had that experience, the Gurdjieff experience Oh, first. I'm sorry you didn't know that. I wrote about it in Combating, mm. but you probably mm. looked at that decades ago or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I was reading Plato and, and utopian novels as a young boy. I was just fascinated yeah. to think about there must be more to life than what right. I'm seeing. And, uh you know, it's it's a cult that does deliberately tries to say uh, you're not ready yet, or you you go to a bookstore and there's a little thing, and then they want you to be tantalized, and they just tease you because yeah. it's so special. Air quotes. <laughs> and yes, you're not awake world. yet, and you're mm. sleeping, and like, what do you mean by that? And, oh, these are loaded words. We learned that about cult mind control. Yes. Anyway, back to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so just to give you a little, mm, <laughs> the, the short version. Uh, oh, and by the way, um, I don't know if this was a, a typo on what I sent you or not, but it was five years, not 15. Thank God. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it said 2006, you met the group and 2011, you left. Yeah, so. that was a that was a typo. My typo. Bad. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you weren't in that long. So, yeah. how many years were you involved? Five, five years. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. long enough. It's it's long. It's it's like four years too long. Yes, <laughs> probably one year too long. But um, yeah. So um, let's just say, Steve, that I was not adulting well, and you know, adulthood was difficult up until that point, and it was kind of me floating around thinking, why can't I figure anything out? Nothing's working, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, right before, kind of like you, uh, no, actually, you had had a breakup before. I was on the precipice of a breakup mm. um, when I'm at Whole Foods and this woman starts talking to me. And mind you, she's with her husband and her two kids. And she's friendly and engaging. And I find out she's an artist like me and um we walk out to the the parking lot together and she says you know we should really get together let's exchange phone numbers so we did and um what's i guess interesting about this group i don't know honestly i i haven't heard of other cults doing this exact thing but it probably does happen <laughs> um you know we had a friendship right for months, many months before she even brought up a group. Mm -hmm. um, so gained my trust. I thought she was a little weird because she was very private. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, while I'm like pouring out my soul, you know, telling her like all my problems, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I think this is very funny that I actually said to her, is this all there is? Because it's so stereotypical <laughs> and classic. And you can imagine that it was like, bing, um, at that moment. And she said, would you like to meet other people who ponder these questions? Um, mm -hmm. And then introduced me to other friends. Um, in this group, as you know, because you've worked with people um, who have left, it's it's all about secrecy. You know, it's not, it's not like Scientology, you know, they hand out pamphlets mm -hmm. <laughs> on the commons. School does not do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, we are the invisible world and we're protecting these ideas. By the way, Gurdjieff was not mentioned 
at any point in my five years. Seriously? So nope. interesting. No, nope, they just, you know. They just uh, stole his, his uh, ideology and used yes, it. And they repackaged it. it. Yeah. So interesting. If I may comment, Esther, just back to your initial recruitment is a pattern I would like to highlight, which is um, you meet somebody, they're very friendly, they initiate, but you, you wind up disclosing everything, but you know nothing about them. And that lack of, of reciprocity needs to be a red flag for everybody. That yes. If you're sharing this much, they need to share this much. And if not, like cut and run. Yeah. There's something wrong. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, that imbalance should have been a screaming siren. <laughs> well, hopefully people will be listening to this and go, ah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, sometimes you can make new friends at, at Whole Foods or wherever, and they're friendly. But mm -hmm. again, you need you're sharing something personal. You want to have an equal, a uh, personal share. And yeah. if there isn't, it's a big warning flag. If you know, if I may, there's one other thing that's a big warning flag. I could never get her on the phone. Mm. She never picked up her phone. So two years into my misadventure, as I like to call it, when I'm being recruited to recruit, to make new friends, as they call it, right? you know, they said, get a voicemail box. So suddenly I was like, oh, that's why Lisa never picked up her phone. So if that is a one-way street, that is also a red flag. Yeah, Frederick Lenz, uh, so-called Rama, used to make all the followers have a voicemail box and a P.O. box only yeah. Uh, also. Um, yeah, so please continue. Um, okay, so, <laughs> so yeah, we are having a friendship for several months, then do you want to meet new friends? Then there was a next step in which um, she had me meet her for coffee to meet another friend, which was really the leader of the cult. You know, I was being vetted. So <laughs> the whole time this is going on, I have no idea. Like, you don't, most people don't walk through life wondering, is this new friend keeping a file on me? And, you know, Again, it's kind of funny in, in, in that it's so absurd, but when I met Robert, he brought up ideas that really specifically, um, you know, kind of drilled into my problems, right? Like I, I'm floating around in this world feeling like I don't belong in it. And he comes in with an origin story you know, we are essence from the starry world and we're here to learn something and we really don't belong here. So <laughs> validates so, the feeling. He validates the feeling. And, you know, after I left, I realized, oh, he did that because Lisa told him, <laughs> new friend told him that I was walking around going, I don't feel like I belong here, you know? So red flag Yep. So Lifton called that mystical manipulation yes. where the recruiter is getting all this detail about you feeding it to the leader. The leader's meeting you and acting as if they can read your mind and know exactly, you know, what what you're about and um, reel you in with that yes. information. 
Yes, that was mystical manipulation. Yep. So um, we have coffee with Robert. Robert um, decides that I'm worthy, I guess. And he says, would you like to try a free five-week experiment, which also should have been a red flag. And I was like, sure, you know. A mm-hmm. um, couple months after that, Lisa tells me, oh, th- this new class is starting again red flag. She doesn't give me an address. She says, meet me at the Whole Foods. I follow her like a couple miles down the road to a Lions Club. (laughs) You know, I will say, Steve, that the entire time, I I didn't lose touch with my cognitive dissonance. Like, I I had an inner skeptic who was going, hello, (laughs) what is going on? Why didn't you give me an address? Um, Right. You know, and... um, I kept pushing that aside, and that's what happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all I can say is that you're made to feel like you're special, but are you worthy to have this really deep knowledge that's only a few people on planet Earth have, mm-hmm. where? You know, you can actually evolve yourself and yeah. nobody else can. Yeah, it's really a setup, isn't it? Well, it's very alluring and for 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 young people and even for middle-aged people, the notion that there's there is a bigger story of meaning for us individually and, and how we connect to um you know reality. Um and again, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, so so I, I guess, you know, when you said I had this cognitive dissonance, I think everybody has their real self that's still there. Mm-hmm. In my case, it was drilled out of me. And also I was just totally sleep deprived because I didn't live separately. And your yeah. cult, you live separately, you have a life, you can work. Etc. It's a different experience, but they still climb into your head. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, you would think that having my own life outside of the group would have thwarted it Mm -hmm. to some degree, and maybe it did. And I often refer facetiously to my experience as cult light because, you know, I wasn't living on a compound. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, part of the thing with this secret, you know, or private school, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. was that we were to have normal lives. You know, we were to be working in the world. That The world was our experiment. It was, you know, all the world's a stage. And Shakespeare mm-hmm. was big in that group. Oh, right. Everything was about Shakespeare, you know. Um, so, and and yet, the impact and the influence went really deep. Mm-hmm. You know, five years. And, you know, yes, the love bombing in the beginning, you know, that felt pretty great, but it stopped at a certain point. <laughs> oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. then you're encouraged to recruit others at a certain point, of course. But describe, were you meeting like once a week on the weekends or twice, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but you couldn't tell anybody? Cause Tuesdays were... and Thursdays, and you couldn't tell anybody. Yeah, I've counseled um, a few from that, from your group, actually. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that you have. Um, and, um, you know, 
oddly enough, I start going to the class and I'm all excited about the ideas and the community mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we're going to save the world. Although that was more tacit. Again, that's not like Scientology. <laughs> it's not right. stated overtly, you know. Um, and a couple of months later, I meet my husband and we start dating mm-hmm. and then I get a job and then I'm like, oh my God, well, life is working. It must be because of school, right? Like I totally credit the group for that. Well, I'm, I think they told you that, like maybe not overtly, but they definitely implied. Yeah. And anything that's good that happens is the group and anything bad is you're not practicing yeah. enough. You're not yeah. awake enough. Yeah, you're not trying hard enough. Right. You know, you, you cannot win for losing. <laughs> you're never going to try hard enough. Right. <laughs> um, but if something good happens, in fact, um, so m- my husband, Chris, and I got married in 09, and they had like a champagne toast for me. And I can remember Robert taking credit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you have come so far. I remember when we first met. And now you're getting married. <laughs> so, um yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the the bullet points that are important are that, that I gave and I was buying into the credit, you know, of anything good happening in my life yeah. um, in the group. And then um, the way this group works their isolation, because every cult isolates and mm-hmm. brings on the us them is what this crazy Christmas party that they have every year, which mm-hmm. you probably heard about if you counseled people from Yeah, and I think you have to do a play or you have to do some, you know, oh my gosh, performances. And- performances, make a dinner, um, build dec- decorations. Right. Um, a lot of slave labor, sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that, is sewn into every holiday season. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you are not told that this thing you are doing is going to rinse and repeat every year. I that love you... that. <laughs> rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, I can remember the first year that actually it was, I mean, it really was like grade school. I think it's it's kind of funny that they called themselves school, but because it, it was fun and I got to be creative and mm. I got to draw and paint and sing and perform and all of that. You know, right. it was like mom and dad are coming and we're going to perform for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then. But the performances were just for members, not for mom and dad or anybody outside. Right. 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 It's this kind of self congratulatory, right. you know, look at us. Aren't we great? Aren't we creative? Aren't we brilliant? Um, right. Thing that every year gets a little more strenuous. Every year takes a little more time. Every year becomes really important to your development. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the time at which you get the most out of the group. (laughs) So every year, of course, people are fighting with their families and spouses. I was no exception to that. Um, So they're hijacking the holiday season. And then after a few years of that, it's like, oh, and by the way, we want you to go out and make new friends. So mm. it's a slow boil. Yep. Yeah. And so you met your husband in the cult, so you didn't have to keep it a secret from 
your That's a little complicated. He was not in the cult. He oh. never was in the cult. And and actually he's somebody that I had known for a long time, but you know, um but we had been in the periphery of each other's life. He, he was I married. See. Yeah. And then he got divorced. And then, um, you know, at some point ran into each other. He asked me out. So that's why it was so weird to me and magical that, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm engaged now because mm-hmm. he wasn't in the group ever. And I will tell you that um, I wasn't supposed to tell him what was going on. No, I was going to say, you know, Tuesday, Thursdays and a week, you know, every other weekend or whatever it was, uh, one of the people I helped was engaged and wouldn't tell. And they they were like, why don't you tell? Well, this is my own artistic thing. I need to do this. Please forgive me. But this is what I really... And it went on and on and on until he realized he was in a mind control cult and the whole yeah. balloon burst. I hope he didn't lose his relationship. No, he didn't. <laughs> I haven't been into I mean, I'll tell you briefly, the story was that I w- was hired to help a uh, 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 somebody in the city yoga cult. And I always do a family meeting to prepare, and I meet with the siblings and the other people in the family. And um, the brother uh, said, can I talk to you privately later? And then he's, because he read Combating Cult Mind Control, and he said, I think I may be in a cult. And I was (laughs) like, do tell. And then I was like, oh, I know this group. And anyway, so- Helping his his sister and mother get out helped him get out, and then he told his fiance and happily ever that? after. I hope I haven't talked to them in a really long time, but yeah, okay. But at least it, if if they broke up, it wasn't because of that. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, a healthy marriage, you should pretty much be yeah. transparent with your spouse about yeah. where you're going and where you're spending money mm-hmm. and time and. Yeah, for sure. Big red so, flag. Big red flag. And um, and actually, I broke the rules right away because we did talk about it. And I did tell him. In fact, we used to call it Tuesday, Thursday thing. I was like, I'm off to thing tonight. And he'd be like, okay, see so you after thing. Um, and, you know, Steve, <laughs> I mean, okay, this is organic. So I'm going to go off on this tangent. But after I left, it was one of those things where I realized, okay, not only do they they uh, am i can i swear on this definitely <laughs> do they fuck with the members but they are taking advantage of the trust you know that family members or friends people that love these sure. people have you know cuz when i told chris about this weird group he said look if it's helping you it's not my business right he's being respectful right <laughs> um but uh you know Eventually, you know, coming on year four and a half, five, suddenly, you know, Chris is becoming a problem. Um, but that's pretty standard fare, right? Like your husband, blah, 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 you know. So, so you mean the group was critical of your husband? Yeah. Blaming yeah, your husband. Yeah. 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 Specifically the group leader. So, you know, um, it really was just kind of this glut of starting this class and then getting excited. And then there's the first Christmas party 
and that's exciting, you know, and then I get a job and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm finally growing up. I'm in my 40s. I have a job and a boyfriend and we're engaged now and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then two years in is when the tables start to turn, right? You know, the love bombing's over. I also had a number of personal things, like my dad died, my grandma died, you know. Yeah, that's dramatic. Yeah. Life-altering. Yeah. Yep. Um, And um, I think (laughs) Chris and I got married in 09, and we go on our honeymoon. And I think when we got back, it was like, okay, the party's over. The love bombing's done. <laughs> um, and, you know, at that point, I'm pretty fully indoctrinated with a little tiny piece of inner skeptic going, there's something wrong with this. Again, I never lost touch with it, thank God. Cause that's I think great. That's, yeah, I think that's why I didn't last more than five years. Um, and, um, you know... This was also, this was around the time that the economy started tanking too. You know, I lost the job and plus I hated the work that I was doing. So I was sucking at the jobs. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that always is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, clearly I'm feeling worse and worse and worse about myself. And I'm, that's being reinforced by the group. Right. Um, and then... Um, my, just my functioning, I I felt, my mind felt shredded. Mm. I felt like I couldn't think. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, meanwhile, my husband is getting more and more concerned. My friends are like, are you okay? Most of my friends didn't know about it. Chris Mm -hmm. is really the only person who knew about it. But my friends were like, what is happening to you? Right. Um, and I'm trying to, oh, so the final straw, I'm trying to get to the, like, the thing that pushed me out. Sure. Um, is Chris finally found some information online, and he brought it to my attention in the most intelligent way. Like, well, first he found the stuff online, and then he, he found the name Odyssey Study Group. And then he went to my checkbook, because all this time... Don't ask me why they were taking checks from me. <laughs> Seems a little bit like stupid narcissism if you don't want to get caught right. <laughs> bilking someone. But he went to my checkbook and he saw that I'd been writing checks, $350 a month, right, to OSG. Yep. So um, so one night after class, we're like nodding off. And he suddenly said, I have a confession to make. And he said, I found this information online. I went to your sec- checkbook. He said, what is OSG? I said, I don't know. I had never asked. <laughs> Not once. And then he said, oh, no, wait, here, let me re- rewind this. He said, what is Odyssey Study Group? And I said, I don't know. And I was rolling my eyes at that point. And then he said, how about OSG? And um, then I suddenly woke up it was one of those moments where i was like why have i not ever asked them what osg stands for mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. i'm giving them my money i'm not telling they're not telling me what these initials are 
Um, and then he told me, found the information, all the complaints about the crazy parties and, you know, spouses who are like, I'm losing my, you know, my partner to this group. Um, and, um, and at that point, honestly, I was, I think I was looking for a savior, right? I was looking for somebody to say, what are you doing? Sure. And he said to me, um, are you sure you're not being manipulated? And I couldn't answer the question because deep inside, I knew that I was, right? right. Um, so, like, it was kind of a rough weekend. I couldn't sleep all weekend. And then finally, um, with a lot of back and forth, you know, over voicemail slash, of course, they have my phone number, but I have to leave messages, which was kind of to my advantage after I left. Right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I finally had the big talk with Robert and said, I can't continue. This is going to ruin my marriage. Um, and um, he tried two tactics. This was kind of funny, Steve. Uh, on the one hand, he um, he went after Chris. He was like, your husband's going to keep manipulating you. And I, at right. that point, had woken up enough that I was like, I mean, anyone who meets my husband for two seconds knows that he's just not his thing. Right. He's a good guy. He, like put up for five years with this weird group lurking in the background. What are you talking about? You know. Right. And th then when Robert saw that wasn't working, he he shifted gears really fast, and suddenly he like he put on the face and the and the, and the voice. He's like, "I'm trying to trying to put myself in your husband's shoes." And I have to tell you, at that moment, I was like, "I thought you were supposed to be Mister Evolved." You right. know, that was it for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so five years I'm out. Um, and after I left, I, it, for me, it was like an avalanche of real realizations. And I understand, like, that's not the case for everyone. But for me, like, the longer I was out and the more distance I had from it, the more I put together the dots. And then I read your books. I My Lifton um, book is falling apart. It's the binding. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, and then I started telling everyone because I was so angry, you know, about the secrecy. Yep. Um, and then the blog went up and then, um, it became a presentation and the songs, all of this is my recovery, right? This is where yeah. the art comes in. Yeah. Um, and then at some point somebody was like, I think your blog could be a book and, you know, here it is. Um, yay. Yeah, yay. Buy Esther Friedman's book. Yes, please and do. I love the gentle souls re revolution. Can I be a gentle soul? Absolutely. Um, you know, I know I, I said to you, I, I'd really like to talk about this because I feel like this is a profile of of person who um, is overlooked a lot. And I definitely fit this profile. And this is a profile person who is um, vulnerable because when you grow up and you're so empathic that you're picking up all the vibes in the room <laughs> and you don't even know who's feeling what, mm -hmm. you're like, is it me that feels angry? Is it me that's terrified? And everyone in your life is telling you that you're too sensitive or that you think too much, hmm. you don't grow up with confidence. This is why at 41, I was floating around hmm. feeling lost, you know? And my, my message has become, 
there's nothing wrong with you and we need more sensitivity, more right. thoughtfulness in the world. And um, what you need to do is honor and value that and protect it fiercely. Right. You know, like it is okay for you to say, you know, that's not going to work for me. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Finding your voice and being assertive is critical to have yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And have you, you've heard of the empathy trap book, I assume? I have not. Oh. It sounds like something I should read. Yeah, so I mean the I'm 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 very empathic too. A lot of people who become therapists are high on empathy and it makes us great therapists, but it also unless we learn boundaries and understand how to navigate, we can burn out like yeah. really fast. Uh, especially working with cult survivors and trauma victims. It's yeah. it's a big deal. And and basically, empathy, it, it needs to be reined in. And in many cases, compassion is the thing that should be, you know, more the emotional connection rather than stepping into someone else's shoes, uh, but yeah. be able to hear them and imagine what they're feeling based on what they're saying and how they're behaving. Yeah. Um, so, but, um, so... Talk about your professional work and, and your songs and all this great stuff that you're doing. Well, thank you. So, um, you know, after I got out, um, I went back to human services, which is what I was in initially, but really much more um, focused on mm -hmm. like, okay, I need to get my license. Um, because like like any good addict, I was like, Okay, now that I've figured this out, I'd like to help other people, right? Sure. Any good recovering addict, right? Because I, I don't know, you know, if you've used that frame for um, cult membership, but you know, it's just not another really. Addiction. I'm not. Yeah. I'm. Not, I, I. I. It doesn't resonate for me about addiction. I think of it more as a dissociative disorder than an yeah. addiction. But please continue. It's yeah, different I, for different people. Yeah, and I, I kind of think both of those things come into play, but. This um, this false feeling of dependency on something that's hurting you, you know, I see a a parallel there. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, really, the thrust of my work is about reclaiming voice because I think um, these groups do what I call cultic identity theft. Mm -hmm. You know, they. They yank the you out of the you. They fill you up with some kind of a cog that's mm -hmm. going to do the bidding of the group. Mm -hmm. um, and the recovery is reclaiming that. Mm -hmm. And a great deal of that is reclaiming voice, right? Like, let's strain the loaded language out <laughs> in, or replace it or reclaim it, you know, Um if so, I may, for my listeners who may not be familiar with Robert J. Lifton and his book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, a study of brainwashing in China that came out in 1961, that's the book, Esther, you were saying is falling apart from having read it so many times. It was mm -hmm. pivotally important in my deprogramming and in my recovery. And loaded language is thought terminating cliches, things that are known in the group that are buzzwords that shut off any critical thinking and kind of compress uh, complex reality into these terms. And 
part of the recovery is being able to name it. That's what a Cain Abel problem is or a chapter two problem. Those, those are Mooney loaded terms. Yeah. Um, and rewire your brain to using the English language and recover mm -hmm. the robustness of the language and uh, the subtlety of life experience, etc. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to flesh out the loaded language um, thing. And with Scientology, they, they drill them to program themselves with all these loaded terms. So it's yeah. so hard for ex-Scientologists to, even when they exit, to get it out of their head because they're still thinking with those loaded words. Yeah. And I also, you know, I think that's a good point too, because it's really hard to, uh, in, unless you get into some kind of recovery or you have some really wonderful friends or family members who will talk about this stuff with you um, and who understand it, it's hard to know when those little memes are still wired into your brain. Mm. Um, so, you know, I really put the focus on um, authentic voice, authentic self. Um, Me too. And, yeah. And, Go ahead. Um, Keep going. It's, it's really so rewarding. When Definitely. You see, when you see someone reclaiming that voice, you know, or reclaiming their emotions. Um, and, you know, all I have to do is hold the space for that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, Esther, I put together a course to train clinicians and other people, and I included a video of a session I was doing teaching Judith Herman's class uh, on cults and a former client of mine who was a very talented artist who had been in a Bible cult for 13 years and then out for 11 years in and out of psych hospitals on 19 different medications. And when she, and Laura heard that I was doing this training, she said, please let me come. I want to tell the clinicians all the mistakes people were making with me for 11 years. Yeah. And I'll just say, because you are an artist, uh, this woman worked for Disney as an illustrator. I mean, she was an incredible artist and she was doing these incredible satanic red, black things. And mm -hmm. she, we put it up on, on, you know, in the slideshow. And she said, my therapist said, that's dark. Why don't you draw something nice <laughs> instead of saying, wow, you're really artistic. Tell me more about what yeah. is coming out of you. Yeah. And, and, and one reason I'm especially grateful to you as an expressive arts therapist is how valuable it is because cognitive therapy for a lot of people doesn't do it. Like yeah. they need that musical, artistic, mm -hmm. uh, psychodrama. They need other expressions to externalize what yeah. they went through so that they can heal themselves. Yeah, and it's, a, it's, it's another way of reclaiming voice. Like a painting is a different kind of voice, right? Yes. Um, it's also very concrete, which... I'm taking tons of trauma continuing ed courses right now. And that's where all the treatment is going, you know, like being present, being in your body, you know, um, 
the, and I, mean, I think, look, I, I joke around and call my experience cult light, but any cultic experience I think is traumatic because it's so bizarre when you realize that there are people in the world who are that cruel. Yeah. And selfish. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's comparing your experience with someone else's experience. It's a mixed bag, you know, because yeah. I wasn't beaten and tortured and thrown in a hole for years. Yeah. But I nearly died in the van crash. I was almost strangled with a garrote while I was out fundraising, had a Jesus. knife put to my stomach while I was out fundraising. I had a lot of traumatic experiences that as a cult member, I... <laughs> I couldn't process until after I got out and went like, that was right. really scary. <laughs> right. That right. was really crazy. I was really lucky to live through that one, you know, but the bottom line is, is, yeah. is I, I would say you were in a cult and you survived and you're making, you know, um, more than lemonade because you're helping other people make their own lemonade out of their experiences, right? Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, that's that's my mission. I, you know, the ironic thing is I, I found what I was looking for by leaving, right? Like I went in because I was feeling lost and, you know, like I, I need to feel like I have a purpose and this group is going to mm. give me a purpose. And, and it did, but only because I left and looked at it and said, oh, my God, what the fuck have I been doing? You know. <laughs> yeah, I would say the group didn't give you the purpose. You found your purpose. And uh, yeah. so I want you to own that one. And I'll, I'll just add, if you don't mind, I interviewed Lifton recently for a book that's of his that's coming out in September on the importance of survivors and the hmm. importance of resilience and and how we can learn from people who've gone through these horrific experiences and use yeah. it to show that you know we can get through all of this they got through the nuclear bomb exploding in their in their city and wiping almost everybody out you can do this too through the pandemic, through being in cults, et cetera. So it was a beautiful interview. Uh, yeah. And he's still very functional, uh, even though he's in his mid-90s. It's amazing. Yeah. And I can't wait to read that book because I, I do feel that not enough is written about recovery. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of memoir. And trust me, I welcome every single memoir. Yep. You know, I'm, I want people to say, you know what? Yeah, this happened to me. And I'm writing this. Most people who write memoirs, it's like, I'm writing this so you can see the red flags, right, to, mm. to educate. Um, but I do feel like let's talk about recovery, reclamation, because yeah. once I um, once I decided I'm not going back, I have never experienced so much freedom in my life. Suddenly I was like, oh, I'm telling everyone. <laughs> I'm telling everyone because I'm not keeping these secrets. Right. They, they hurt me right. and they protect you, you know? Um, so. No, exactly. People who've lost their freedom, once they get it back, wow, is it precious. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. You don't yeah. take it for granted anymore. Yeah. Every minute, you know, get up, make a cup of coffee. I'm like, oh, I can write in my journal and no one's going to be calling me expecting me to like go to the 7 a.m. early recruitment meeting, you know? Right. So. Yeah, I remember when I first got out of the Moonies in the very first few weeks, I was like, 
I don't have to ask permission to take a nap. <laughs> I don't need to ask permission to go to the bathroom or or, or mm. I want to go to the beach and, and watch the ocean waves. I don't need to ask permission from anybody. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that crazy when you think about it? I, you know, I got together with, with one of my um, disgrunt fellow disgruntled ex-students, as we are called. Um, yeah. And we were laughing because there was a one point where we, when we were both in the group that we ran into each other in Harvard Square in a bookstore and she said hi to me. And she was like a, a newer student, as we were called. And I said hi. And she said, oh, we aren't supposed to be talking, are we? And I was like, no, we aren't, but it's okay. And then we got together and I had lunch or something and we were like can you believe we thought that was normal and we were okay with that you yeah know? and you were like we're not supposed to be talking fuck that yeah <laughs> i mean that that you know was another thing i think maybe specific to this group because we weren't living on a compound but we weren't supposed to acknowledge each other outside right. of the group because we were in the invisible world you know right so, um no, but ex yeah, exactly. And I've been talking with a fellow fielding graduate who um, um, was involved with Heaven's Gate and evaluating the property there. So I've been like reimmersing myself in Heaven's Gate stuff. And they talked about being students. So as you're talking about students, I can't help but think about those poor souls who uh, were convinced that they were actually mm -hmm. aliens. You know, in human bodies, and that they were going to evacuate to a spaceship in the tail of the Hellbop comet because the Earth would be incinerated. And yeah. it's like, and they were smart, educated, wonderful people. Yeah, and, and I they're think they're no longer alive. Right, and I, I, it's a really good example of you know, human beings are influenced by others. We are social creatures, you know, yep. um, and, you know, me believing that I shouldn't be talking to my fellow students is a small example of believing crazy shit, you yep. know, but then it starts to grow and it can grow into something as tragic as that. Yeah, and I might say you might stop calling ex-members students. You might just call them former cult member friends of yours. Yeah. That's a, a little tweak um, just, yeah. you know, from my ears. Um, but so you went to Leslie College. You got a master's in expressive therapies. Mm. Share with us some of the the approaches that you are experienced with that you help people in their healing? Well, you know, um, I got a master's in expressive arts therapy, which is this kind of conglomeration of all of the arts. Okay. Um, you know, so it's like, maybe you, maybe you use paint, you know, maybe client uses paint and then, well, let's take that, painting and why don't you um write a dialogue like what is that part of the painting saying to the other part you know and i don't do dance therapy but if i did a dance therapist would say dance it out you know right. um um from i have to say also with music it's more listening you know i think music is a really wonderful way to get people 
back to their former selves. Like, mm. let's, let's, what's the soundtrack of your life? What mm. music was important to you um, before this happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and then I, I haven't done songwriting with other people. That's kind of funny. I think I've kind of, I've kept that as a personal thing, but I would if somebody was interested because it was, for me, it was so healing to. Had you um, been a songwriter before? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you went yeah. back to your authentic self. And- yeah, I went back to my authentic self. I would say um, the thing that was the most painful for me about being in this group is that I couldn't, I got to a point where I couldn't even write because my mind was so shredded. So, you know, writing, I kept journals as a four-year-old. Mm. You know? So the process of journaling and writing my story and then songwriting was all about reclaiming that authentic voice Mm, Um, mm. and so you know in a way like for this population it's like well whatever it takes because it it doesn't matter what what i think works you know client it's what do you gravitate to what did you gravitate to before you had this experience what would what would you like to reclaim Um, right yeah. Yeah, I might say um, I was a creative writing major uh, at college, and uh, so I wrote poetry and short stories. And then when I got recruited into the cult, I was told to demonstrate my loyalty um, to the cult and um, throw out my original poetry, which was like 400 pieces. Wow. And um, I got out of the cult and because they wanted me to throw it out because that was the real me and they didn't want me to read it or have it as a reference point. Um, I did find a few that had been published after I got out. So I was able to read at least some things, but it took me about a year after getting out because my mind was shredded too. I had read two week two to three books a week before the cult i was like a bookworm type person i love to learn i love to read and yeah. i got out and i couldn't concentrate i couldn't remember the meaning of words i had to wow. um i bought a dictionary and started like retraining my mind of what words meant Um, and it took me about a year to start writing again. And guess what? It was when I started dating women again and falling (laughs) in love and love didn't work out. And then it started, you know, priming the pump. And then I was started writing about being in the cult a bit, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, later, um, you know, when Jonestown happened and everything, I just went, nonfiction writing and just like more serious stuff and put that aside. But hanging out with you and Jarette Bullion at the ICSA conference and mm-hmm. just like, I think I might be able to reactivate my voice and yeah. I'm actually taking a week off and I'm going to try to unplug and let's see if something wants to come out. Because, yeah, I was um, going to ask you if you yeah. had, reclaim the poet you know um yeah i wrote i wrote i you know i I wrote a bunch of poems for years when i first got out but i what i wanted to highlight was agreeing with you my mind was like shredded and i had to and one thing that a therapist said to me that was very helpful she said the the mind is like a muscle steve think about if you break your arm and it's in a cast 
when it comes out of the cast, you're weak. You don't have the same strength. Yeah. You just need to keep working it and yeah. it'll come back. It'll get strong. And that was such a hopeful message to me. Oh, my yeah. mind's like a, mu a muscle. I'm going to exercise it and I'm going to do more weights. And I just started forcing myself to read a page and explain what was it that I just read. And then I'll mm -hmm. read two pages and then I'll read a, a chapter. And I built my myself back up to... Um, you know, reading a bunch of books and just, I still love to learn. That's part of what juices me is yeah. curiosity and just a hunger to yeah. try to understand this experience on earth that's happening. Yeah. Well, and I will say that the Moonies telling you to give up your poetry, that is classic identity theft right there, right? Like totally. Yeah. 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 And, um, they used the Abraham was asked to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac story, mm -hmm. uh, and um, so what? Do, who do you? What do you love the most, Steve? You know, and I said I don't know, and they're like, well, we think your poetry is your Isaac. Are you willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. your Isaac? And so they manipulated me. Oh God, it's so infuriating. <laughs> yeah, well, I. I um all I can say is part of what I teach my clients, you know, in reclaiming their authentic self is, you know, be in the now, be in your body, you know, have an internal locus of control, have a positive future orientation, learn about mind control, have a toolbox for discerning who to trust, who not to trust, and mm -hmm. how to figure that out. But then I have people do that mental exercise of going back to key moments that were really traumatic or key in your recruitment and an answer the question, if I knew then what I know now, what would mm -hmm. I do differently? So I'm back in that scene and they're telling me about Isaac and, you know, go get your poems and throw it out. And I get my poems and I walk out the door and I flip <laughs> them a bird. <laughs> Perfect. Right? <laughs> yep. Because I yeah. never would have thrown out my poetry. It was like yeah. creativity for me was the essence of being human. It was like right. what distinguished us from the animals was that we could create. And But I needed to reclaim that the real me would never have thrown out my poetry. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so heinous. Um, <laughs> but, you know, look, look at what you've done since, right? Speaking of someone who took their experience and... Uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting life. And who who thought I would be doing this 47 years later? Like, yeah. I thought I would be murdered or I'd burn out a long time ago. And I have burned out a lot of times. But yeah. I just get so much fulfillment from helping people and feeling yeah. like I matter and I make a difference. And the cult of Trump has just, like, off the charts been important and yeah. um will be important for years to come yeah and that's uh, so scary right now you know i'm i'm glad that you're <laughs> taking you know putting the, the spotlight on that well unlike your cult my cult wanted to take over the government and thought democracy was satanic and should infiltrate and destroy mm -hmm. You know, the separation of church and state. And my former cult was at January 6th. And my former cult has a gun factory with yeah. a rod of iron 
you know, uh, ministry where they're saying, well, let's train everyone with assault rifles for the civil war to come. So my former cult is still very present. So I really feel like I can't just say, well, I've done enough now. I'm gone. Because yeah. I know I have this historical knowledge and memory. Yeah. Uh, that's very unique. So I'm yeah. trying to put out as much content as I can and do interviews. And this this woman, Pam Hemphill, by the way, Esther, just surfaced recently. Uh, she had been sentenced to two years in jail for January 6th. And she's on the media holding up the cult of Trump saying, I was brainwashed. <laughs> Read this book. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's fabulous. It's happening right now. And um, and I'm just hoping it might inspire other people who are having doubts about their involvement uh, with uh, the extremists, right wing and the GOP and all the Russian, Russian influence politicians who are trying yeah. to subvert our our freedom and such. But back to you, as we're as we're wrapping up, you have a blog, you have music and CDs, mm -hmm. you have a book. Say a little bit more, and then we'll when we do the blog, we'll add links so people can come and okay and all that good um, stuff. Yes. Um, so <laughs> there are actually two sites. One is my professional site is um, the GentleSoulsRevolution.com. So Great. if you're interested in therapy, that's the one to go to. Um, if you're interested in just hearing me, you know, tell my story and vent, you could go to CultConfessions.com. Okay. <laughs> um, awesome. You know, I have the book, The Gentle Souls Revolution. The music at this point is... Um, uh, you know, there there are some projects in the works there Great. where, um, uh, you know, a, a collaboration with Jurette. Um, um, Jurette's the executive director now of IGotOut.org. Yeah. So, again, it's we're trying to normalize and destigmatize the fact that good people can be lied to and co-opted and programmed mm -hmm. into these crazy belief systems and cults. And there's life after cult. And Jared in particular likes to encourage people to to write their narrative, to, and I, I believed in that since when 1988 when I wrote Combating, I said write out your story because you yeah. get to have perspective, and yeah. oh, that's the younger me. I was this. I was this. Da 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 da. Yeah, very yeah. Helpful. She she is writing workshops, in fact, for those yes. who are interested in that. Um, um. So I would say. There is a CD called Cult Confessions that's the soundtrack to my misadventure. Most of my music now is kind of like, please let me think about something else. <laughs> ah, got it. Great. Um, yeah, but um, there are other projects which bring bring the music in that are kind of unformed right now. So to be determined. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for being you and thank you for speaking out and thank you for being a therapist and caring and mm -hmm. wanting to help other people on their journey reclaim their authentic self and well, um, continued success. Thank you and thank you for having me and for all the work you've done over the years to um, combat this. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure, my honor. I'll take, take care. care now. Right. 
that's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.